0: Darlings, welcome back to LUM Squad, a podcast devoted to the wonderful and wacky world of Rumiko Takahashi's Yurisei Yatsura. I'm LUM Ramiyasha.
1: And I am Andrew AC Yoshimura.
0: And today we are finally back with our third
1: episode. (laughs) It's only been about a year, just shy of a year, I think.
0: Yeah, I apologize for the hiatus the show went on after only one episode. <laughs> it was very unintentional. We had intended to do this as a monthly show, but there just happened to come some stuff at the time we record the second episode that kept delaying the editing the episode and it just kept getting pushed back. But <laughs> the episode has been edited. It's out now. You guys are probably listening to it already. I mean, surely you are, since this is the third episode. If you listen to this, the second episode you already be out. I reckon so. there's <laughs> going to be some people who
1: see the third episode and go, "Wait, where was the second episode? When did that come out?"
0: <laughs> but yeah, I, I, uh, a lot of people have been, you know, asking, "Hey, where's Slum Squad? When's Slum Squad coming back?" And I'm, you know, really happy that people are were so interested and and are still interested. Like we've been getting like a lot of uh, engagement on like the you know tweets about the episodes and about like recording plans and stuff so i want to thank everyone for just sticking around with us while we were going through the hiatus and hopefully we'll be back on our regular production schedule and have some more Yurzi Yastra discussions more regularly from now on
1: yeah i think it should be a bit easier for us to keep more of a of a focus on it now um like last year was very busy for me as well uh, and I wasn't mm-hmm. even in the country for some of the time, so it is good to just kind of get back to it. And you know, we we can probably organize, like you know, say every the second Sunday of every month or something like that. We can we can organize to do this to do a record.
0: Definitely, that sounds like a good plan.
1: That way, it's easier for me to keep a schedule. <laughs> Otherwise, I just keep going. I'll do it next week. I'll do it next week. I'll do it <laughs> next week, and then it's a year later.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, that is definitely what happened with my attempts to edit the episode
1: (laughs) (laughs) so you do a few podcasts already so obviously you know your um your time is taken up with manga mavericks as well a lot of the time and my own i've got my own show called um game life balance australia which is uh actually also on hiatus at the moment because we sort of do this thing where we really like recording in the same room together Mm. And we can't do that under the current situation. So obviously there's oh, yeah. a worldwide pandemic at the moment. So uh, we were up to episode 100, but we decided not to record our 100th episode apart. We wanted to do it in the same room, but now we can't actually do that. So I'm having a sabbatical for my other show as well, which is good.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, man. But it'll be so special when you guys come back for the 100th episode. It'll be like a huge event.
1: Oh, It'll be massive. We've got, a, we've, got, we've got a lot of clips lined up for what we want to do there for our hundredth episode. How many episodes of Manga Mavericks have you done?
0: We are up to over 116, 17 by the wow, time you're listening to this. And actually, a long bit our of yeah, yeah, and actually, our hundred sixteenth episode was an episode on Uruseiyatsura, and we had. My friend Vix on, and we had Dawn from the Anime Nostalgia podcast on. Oh, yeah. And it was kind of like what we're, we're going to be doing on this episode. We kind of went through, like, the first couple volumes of the re-release, and Vix and my co-host Colton kind of shared their experiences as first-time readers to your theater, and then Dawn and I shared our thoughts on the re-release, on these early chapters, like as Season fans, and it was a really fun conversation. So That's if you good. haven't checked that out yet, uh, go check that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a great episode. I haven't had the chance to listen to that one yet. I think it is on my phone, though. It's um, it's always good to get a bit of a dynamic. Like, obviously, we're very familiar with Urusei Yatsura, but having some people who are just kind of dipping their toe into it for the first time also creates a very different dynamic to that conversation because... I think Urusei Yatsura is, there is elements of it that are completely timeless, but at the same time, there are some elements of it which are very much of its time. Like oh, it. yeah. Ataru is, is yeah. not the most PC character.
0: <laughs> yeah. Ataru's behavior is definitely going to be a huge barrier to entry for a lot of newcomer fans. Though, even so, I've seen reactions from new people getting into the series who are enjoying it in spite or even because of ataru's character like some people actually do find something to enjoy by the way how how ataru's character is presented so
1: i mean to be fair ataru does get what's coming to him a lot of the time yeah he he does pay for his sins (laughs) yeah so on on that topic we should probably just go through what we're going to kind of talk about today which is we're going to talk a little bit about the um Uh, Sorry, volumes two to five of the releases, the most recent releases. I think only the first one had come out uh, the last time we'd done one of these.
0: Yeah, so we're going to basically catch up on all the volumes that uh, we haven't covered yet and just kind of run down our favorite chapters, you know, some things we like about these early chapters and, you know, some of the bonus stuff in these volumes too that are really cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then we'll talk a little bit about the fandom as well, which I think we promised last episode yeah yeah so, which is which is fascinating, you know both inside of Japan back in the eighties and outside now so let's uh let's have a just a bit of a reminisce about volume two
0: yeah, Volume two is a really great you know new step for the series because with the introduction of mendo we kind of to finally get, like, our entire core cast of main characters. I mean, we still have more characters to add onto the ensemble, but, like, kind of the central figures at Tomobiki High, and the setting of Tomobiki High especially, like, with Volume 2, we kind of get more of what the series will become. Which is very fitting, because that chapter where Mendo is introduced is technically the first chapter of Jura is like official long-term serialization in weekly Shonen Sunday, the chapters from like the first two volumes were all from different, like short bursts of serialization periods. Yeah. But with uh, Mendo's introduction chapter, that first chapter of this uh, second omnibus volume, that's when the series like officially was a weekly serialization Shonen Sunday from like here until it's ending.
1: And you can actually tell that as well, because there were obviously a couple of breaks in between the, the earlier chapters in, um, in Shonen Sunday and the art style does change. Like if you look at the very early uh, ones of this, even of of this graphic novel, you can really tell that there's a a lot more shading. There's a kind of actually a lot more detail, but the characters look quite different as well. Yeah. Ataru really does look like a lot of uh, Takahashi's, earlier protagonists they all had a particular look but by the Mendo chapter he's kind of stabilized in his particular um art form so to speak
0: yeah he's got a much looser rounder face and expressions by like the first chapter of the Mendo era let's say
1: well they even they even mention it as well Mendo actually focuses on his well unfocused eyes his pitiful excuse for a nose and his formless <laughs> mouth
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, Mataru has truly completed his transformation into the characterization he will have for the rest of the series by this point, which is he is kind of a good for nothing, aloof lech.
1: Yep. He has his good side, but it doesn't doesn't show up too often. And oh, Lum yeah. has also stabilized as well into the fact that she's not quite as heavy as she was before. She was very very intense. Um, yeah. Very just. Argumentative, she
0: has much softer expressions and she's generally drawn to be a lot more cuter than like kind of the gremlin-like antagonist she was in the earlier chapters.
1: Yeah, which she really, really was.
0: I think uh, one of the most notable uh, chapters in, you know, identifying kind of the transition from earlier Zyatsura to this kind of later period is... In the second half of the second omnibus volume, we have this chapter uh, "Sake and Tears of Men and Women," and when this was originally serialized in Shonen Sunday, this was actually one of the earlier chapters serialized. This it was, was like the eighth chapter in actual publication order. But uh, in the volumes, for whatever reason, they don't uh, include it until the fourth volume of the Japanese, you know, Tankabons, which here is the uh, in the second of these on this volumes. And you can definitely tell that this is an earlier chapter, not just um how the characters are drawn, like Ataro has a much squatter face than uh, he will have later on. Mm-hmm. And definitely the expressions, uh especially the way Takahashi draws his eyebrows or like the the lines of his eyes like they're a lot thicker than they are later on but also and they've got much more of a
1: sharp arch as well like yeah which almost gives him kind of a not an evil but kind of more of a a worried protagonist kind of look
0: definitely which was his characterization early on is when he was the beleaguered one the guy we we're kind of supposed to sympathize for <laughs> because he his life is being ruined by all these aliens and weirdos but another, uh, kind of notable aspect of this chapter is that it does include the characters that are basically the prototypes for the stormtroopers in the anime. We have the glasses wearing character that becomes Megane in the anime in this chapter, mm. which by the time Mendo comes around, those characters have been retired. We don't see them again. And Ataru basically just confides in Kosuke as his, like, friend person he bounces off. Wit in the school,
1: yeah, and I, you know, you know, you all know my feelings on Kosuke. I really like Kosuke. (laughs) I think he's a great character. I think the stormtroopers are much better suited to the anime because you have more characters. Like these stories are fairly short, like, and they're usually self-contained. Some of them will have continuity that go over a couple of, a couple of weeks, but for the most part, you know, they're just kind of one-off stories. So you don't necessarily need four extra characters. Um, for Ataru yeah. to interact with when there's already Mendo.
0: I mean, especially since they just serve to be crowd characters, just to, like, comment on what's going on and what Atari is doing. And as Yurushigata goes around and goes on, you know, we get, like, a stable cast of characters that are regular and recurring and have much more fleshed out personalities that can perform the same role. Or mm. otherwise, Takahashi can just use, like, random generic classmates to do the same thing.
1: Yeah and you'll notice them pop up now and again like she does mm. seem to have an idea of who is in the class but they're not important enough to give names or speaking roles to
0: Yeah definitely
1: Yeah and so Mendo also introduces that um um uh, that kind of character that occurs in a lot of Takahashi's other work which oh, is the yeah. rich character the rich upper class rich character rival who is, you know, obviously also in love with the same girl. And that occurs yeah. many, many, many times throughout. Sometimes to the point of parody. Like, <laughs> um, oh, I'm trying to remember his name from Ranma.
0: Oh, Tatewake Kuno.
1: That's right, Kuno. Yeah, Tatewake Kuno. So, yeah. and And he does start off in that role, but he's such an idiot that he becomes a parody of that very quickly.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean... From the beginning, it is established that Mendo is basically as bad as Ataru. He just puts on a more convincing gentlemanly facade and can hide behind his airs of being rich
1: and wealthy. Exactly. And you know, and they actually, they pointed out in this one, I think it's the, um, in this volume, volume two, the zodiac storyline where yeah. they shrunk down and they go around and it's basically said that he is a taru just you know with money and better looks that's it
0: basically and when given the choice Salam chooses a taru. she prefers someone who is who presents themselves genuinely over mendo who hides behind like the airs of properness when yeah. he really is just as
1: skeezy as a taru. Oh, definitely. And I think, I think Lum always goes for that type of person who is just simply more interesting. Because when you get down to it, you know, like stuff happens to Ataru, whether Lum is there or not. Whereas, you know, Mendo is content to sit at home and just practice, you know, sword play and the like, and just be rich. So what's, what's your, in this, in volume two, do you have a favorite chapter?
0: Well, that sake chapter I mentioned before is a real treat. Uh, It's really funny because we have those fox spirits come from space and they possess Ataru and it's the husband fox spirit who is really drunk. He's going around the city and flirting with girls and stuff and then we have his wife, you know, possessing people while chasing after him and... A lot of hilarious misunderstandings ensue (laughs) where, you know, she possesses like a little kid who yells at Ataru and then she possesses like a housewife with kids. And it creates this whole misunderstanding that Ataru has been going around, sleeping around, having relationships with uh, married women.
1: Which I wouldn't put it past him. He's just not that lucky, though.
0: Oh, well, I think. (laughs) Ataru definitely would draw the line with kids. Uh, oh, oh, definitely <laughs> no.
1: housewives. Oh, he's tried that oh. many times. Oh,
0: yeah, no, not interested in he kids. He likes though. mature women for sure.
1: Oh, definitely. Sakura is mm. a good example of that as well. I definitely. Think what's interesting about that chapter, though, is that this is one of the few times where Lum electrocutes Ataru so much that it does actually cause him genuine harm. Mm. Like she electrocutes him so much that basically he passes out. And you know it looks like he may have been dead until he's possessed yeah. by the um the fox spirit.
0: Definitely, and this is the most times Ataru has kissed Lum. I think in any single chapter and probably the yes. entire series. And it's yeah. so funny, like just Lum's reactions whenever Ataru kisses her in this chapter. Like she kind of faints out of shock in the first <laughs> one, and the next time it happens, she, like she has like this. Like, penis a smile is very funny.
1: It is very cute, and it does kind of show that Lum is totally all about Ataru. She's not being there just to, you know, mess up his life for the sake of shits and giggles. Yeah. I think um, I, I really do like that chapter. One of the other interesting ones about it is that Lum has the curved horns there as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which
1: is a look that I really like from the early the early episodes. Like, her horns are more pronounced and they've got kind of more of a curve to them rather than just, like, the little kind of pencil nubs kind of yeah. type horns that she has later on.
0: Yeah, they haven't become quite as rounded off and stubby yet. Like, they're yeah. definitely working their way down into the shape that they will be, which I think is actually played off very well in the chapter where lum is hiding her horns and then Hmm. she gets very angry at ataro and then her horns like grow in humongous size when (laughs) she just loses it i like to think that lum's horns the shape of her horns can change depending on her emotional state
1: yeah, I think that is true, because I think in one of the haunted house rides um, they go on, they do, when she's trying to scare one of the people on the ride, like one of the attractions, her h- horns grow right outside of her head then as well. That's true, that's true. She can soften them. Uh, and I don't know, I like the earlier one just because she looks more alien, I think. Like, mm-hmm. she's definitely got more of a like a, a non-Earth person appearance. Yeah. But I think uh, for Volume 2, my favourite would probably be How I've Waited For You, where they write a a fake love letter yeah, to get back at Mendo. But (laughs) everything kind of, you know, messes up as it normally does. Lum finds out about it and then thinks, oh, it'll serve Darling right. Um, But then she decides to actually put herself in disguise and save his butt again, Mm -hmm. which is just a, a very sweet story. I think in the anime, this was the Christmas... Eve episode?
0: Yeah. They reworked it as a Christmas episode and the way they did it in the anime was very beautiful, especially with its use of music and color. Like Mm. that was very special. But this story is also really significant as it's kind of the first time Lomanatara formed like a genuine kind of emotional connection. Yeah. Like it's the first time that they actually have a sweet moment between them. Like the end of the chapter where, you know what, Taru and Lum like walk hand in hand. Like yeah. they enjoy each other's company, you know, it's very nice.
1: And it is the first time he's willingly accepted her and holds her hand.
0: Yeah, it's like a hugely significant moment, you know. Mm. And turning point for the series and how the Lum-Taru relationship develops from henceforth, because shortly after that, of course, you get the After You've Gone chapter.
1: Hmm. Which is another good one, and often cited as one of the best chapters as well.
0: Oh, yeah. I yes. think it was
1: voted um, maybe number one of the anime, and also maybe number one of the manga as well.
0: Yes. In fact, I think in the recent NHK Rumik World polls, they still, after all these years, voted After You've Gone as the... Best Yurusei episode. It has endured as the iconic episode and moment in the series. And truly, it is the chapter, the story in which Ataru really realizes that he genuinely cares about Glum, that he does like Glum, and he's sad when she's gone.
1: Yeah, he doesn't want her to leave. Like, as yeah. he doesn't change his ways, and that's kind of important. Because he's a Tyru and you kind of don't want him to. Um, but he does realize that, you know, there are times when he really needs to just straighten up a bit and, you yeah. know, appreciate what he's got.
0: Yeah, he recognizes that she is an important part of his life. You know, Yeah. He actually does like that she's around.
1: And that was actually the very first story I ever read back in the an America magazine. So that's another one that I, I very much treasure as well. Mm-hmm. It's a very special story for me. So, shall we move on to Volume 3? Volume
0: yeah, let's move on to Volume 3. And so, this is another volume that really kind of shows some more of the pieces falling into place in terms of, like, the cast, you know, really coming together. Because we got Ron introduced towards the end of the volume. But also significant is Sakura being established as the nurse in the school, so mm. Takahashi's kind of reintroducing Sakura and Cherry in this chapter. Cherry comes back into play after a bit of an absence in the beach storyline.
1: It's funny because I don't think anyone really noticed that he was gone. He was he was kind of <laughs> hanging around a lot in the first few volumes and was kind of like the, you know, like the, the weirdo spiritual advisor. Yeah. Um, for all the, the wacky stuff. And, you know, because there's still a lot of supernatural stuff that happens. And then he just kind of disappeared as more alien stuff kind of happened.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, in Volume 2, there, when you look back on it, there aren't really any stories with Cherry in them, which is really surprising when you think about it. So, you know, he had quite a bit of an absence before, like, being reintroduced, like, on a surfboard. Right on the waves
1: (laughs) Which I love I still love that I love Cherry's reintroduction Because you haven't seen him in such a long time (laughs) This is also where I just remember reading the graphic novel From the original run of English translations From Viz back in the uh, early to mid-90s Where Cherry comes in on the wave Crashes onto Ataru And then as the sun's beating down on him He goes cowabunga
0: (laughs) in this version i
1: think he says nailed it (laughs) i think i prefer cowabunga
0: cowabunga is kind of a funny you know non-sequitur just kind of zinger
1: very very much of the time as well
0: yeah yeah (laughs) oh but that is such a dramatic re-entrance for cherry there
1: and they do continue to hint at the fact that he does like surfing than he does like the beach because he he's seen several other times throughout the series surfing oh, Uh yeah. whenever there's a beach episode, he'll just randomly pop up or he'll pop up the beach or he's, you know, he's surfing while everyone else is trying to hide from him because they just don't want to get mixed up in any of his antics.
0: Oh yeah, this beach arc is also significant because it kind of establishes a bit of a tradition for, in the summertime, Yusuyasu does a few chapters where the characters, you know, take a summer vacation trip to the beach.
1: Hmm. And it does actually happen with the seasons in Japan as well, when these were being released.
0: Definitely. And a lot of times Takahashi uses those occasions to kind of do some storylines that, you know, are all connected to each other, like, The second time this happens in like volume five, we have a Tama introduced, the ghost at like that inn that they stay at. And so Mm. there are two chapters with that character, and then they have just uh, another couple chapters still at the beach after that. But then also, you know, later on, and I can't wait until we get to this later in the year, you know, when they return to the beach, they'll meet Ryanosuke. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Volume 7, 8, to whichever one of those volumes introduced, it's Was really Nuske, really
1: I want to say that the, the original run of the series of English translations by Viz in the 90s stopped before she was introduced?
0: Indeed. And actually, that is a good thing to note, is that, you know, through Volume 5, we have covered the first 10 volumes of the series, Viz in the 90s stopped with Volume 11. Their version of Volume 11 was uh, titled Return of Loam, Ron Attacks. But that was the last Yurisui batch of chapters that they had published. So, Mm. you know, with the release of Volume 6 and included in that, uh, Volume 12, the original release, you know, we're going to have for the first time in 20 years, new new Yurisui chapters officially translated and published in English. So that's really, really exciting.
1: I'm looking forward to that because i've only ever read uh a lot of which after that point i've read fan translations and just the original japanese mm-hmm. uh, which obviously my japanese is not perfect so i probably missed a lot of the humor in that and i think the fan translations were quite good but a lot of them were very literal yeah uh, and you you'd need a bit of uh kind of a bit of background and there weren't always translation notes because there's a lot of Japanese culture in these books that really does require explanation sometimes.
0: Definitely, and I think that's a good thing uh, that Miz includes the cultural notes at the end of you know every volume, or you know they have it twice, you know after the end of like each set of volumes in the book, where they just like explain like some cultural notes from earlier in the the volume
1: well that is actually how i learned a bit about japanese culture before i started living there back in 2003 was like reading about this stuff and going well, what's setsubun what's that all about <laughs> and then, you know reading about how you need to chase the bad luck out of your house with dried beans yeah like, there's just no cultural equivalent of that where i come from so
0: definitely and that's one of the really appealing things about Urus is that it is so Japanese. It is so entrenched in Japanese cultural references in mythology, pop culture, and mythology. And I like that we can have all this now preserved and translated, you know, with those ideas intact. And then we can just have, you know, these little glossaries in the volumes to just explain, okay, so this is the cultural context for what was happening. That you can read and uh, better enrich your appreciation of the story.
1: Yeah, and apparently Takahashi herself is quite mystified when she finds out she has a whole bunch of fans for Usagi or Ranma because she just goes, "They're so Japanese. Why do people <laughs> even understand that? I don't get it." <laughs> so, do you have a, a favorite chapter from uh, Volume Three?
0: One thing I want to note about the chapters here is the, spe- especially the, you know. Beach arc is. I think that beach arc when I was first reading the series is kind of the turning point of when I really started to get into Urusia. Like I was a little lukewarm uh, on the earlier chapters when I was first reading it. When I was first getting into it, and then I started getting more into it when Mendo was introduced. But I think, I think Sakura. And Cherry's reintroduction and then just a string of chapters in the beach arc was just so much fun that, you know, I was really, really enjoying reading the series from here on out. And I think another big character that plays a part of that introduced towards the end of this volume is Ron. Like Ron is a character archetype Mm. that I really love. Like she on the surface is very sweet And uh, soft-spoken and polite, but... That is just all kind of a pretense for kind of a weary, fiery, angry personality underneath. (laughs) And I just love Two-Faced characters like that. That, you know, they don't mean to be Two-Faced. But they just kind of have like this hidden side to them. That when pushed, really comes out. And I always get a kick out of that. So Ron was a character that I really latched onto, And I love her rivalry with Lum. And I love kind of the crazy schemes
1: she pulls. So... Ron's introduction is a lot of fun. And Ron is such an interesting character because a lot of her personality is not really her fault. Like, if you look back, Lum is kind of somewhat (laughs) to blame.
0: Lum was a bad (laughs) friend, man. Like, (laughs) because Lum did some really bad things, like wetting the bed, and she didn't speak up, you know, she didn't own up to the fact that she did that. Ron got blamed by her mother and punished for it. And even when Mum convinces Ron to do something she doesn't want to do, like, to kind of, like, ride into, like, a mountain or something. Like, they were trying to go over this mountain. Oh, yeah, but they were, they were like, ra-
1: running away from teasing an animal, I think, yeah. chased after them.
0: And, like, she crashes into the mountain or whatever. And then... One was like, hey, I'm sorry about that. Here, I'll treat you to some ice cream. And it was actually there. Like whoever, you know, chickened out would treat the other two an ice cream. Mm. But, you know, Ron got hurt after all this. So one was like, oh, I'm sorry. Here, I'll buy you the ice cream. But <laughs> even though she says she's going to treat her, you know, they buy the ice cream. But then Lum says, oh, hey, Ron, pay your half. And Ron's like, but <laughs> you said it was your treat." Yes, but you gotta pay for mine, Ron. So <laughs> <she> just...
1: <laughs> uh, I think she. Cheats. I think we all knew shitty like kids like that when we were in primary school. And it gets yeah. even worse when oh. you look back at their childhood with Oyuki and Benten when they're involved as well.
0: Oh, Ron was very mistreated in that group. <laughs> you don't blame her at all for holding grudges, even though she does take things too far, you know, as a teen. And where she is definitely in the wrong with some of the Sunspeople's. peoples. But <laughs> I really do love that dynamic between Lum and Ron and that gang of four in general with yeah. and Yuki.
1: I do like the fact that they kind of went outside of Earth occasionally and looked at the aliens and the relationship and Lum's past, because there's that is a, a well um that they could infinitely draw on effectively. You know, if you're getting sick of an Ataru story, won't well, just go back to Lum's childhood and what you know, what they were like in um in primary school, and they were all little shits.
0: Yeah. Oh, when we get to Cao two, that's going to be really great. <laughs> <laughs> I think.
1: I think my favourite chapter in this one is probably Surf and SOS. Just the start uh, of yeah. the uh, where the Sakura arc. and yeah. Cherry are reintroduced. Yeah, the um, the summer arc. I just love the fact that all of the men are vegetables.
0: Like, Takahashi <laughs> just
1: draws all of the men from Ataru's point of views as vegetables because Ataru doesn't want to look at mostly naked men.
0: That's such a great gag.
1: Yeah, it's it's visually it just looks really funny. If you have no context for the series it's just a whole bunch of girls and vegetables laying next to them. <laughs> just
0: carrots and pumpkins and onions surrounding <laughs> the beach. <laughs> and I one do, can I... of Coca-Cola. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I do love uh, how Ataru is trying to learn how to surf, Mm -hmm. and then basically by the end of it, he's getting pretty good. And then Lum tries to, you know, seduce Ataru on while he's surfing to try and, you know, break his concentration. And then he just goes, "The sight of Lum doesn't affect me anymore. Guess I'm used to her." And then he just, she just shoves him off, and then basically tries to drown him. Which I just, I, I love those manic. Uh, because it doesn't happen very often in later on in this series where Lum just doesn't necessarily lose her temper in, like, a an electrifying kind of way. He just kind of does something that's actually quite violent and dangerous and then just, like, kind of huffs it off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, shall we move to Volume... What are we, Volume 4?
0: Yeah, Volume 4. So this is a really uh, pivotal volume because we are introduced to kind of one of the key fixtures in Uriseastra's cast, Ten.
1: That's right, yeah. I was so surprised that, because Ten is such a mainstay Mm -hmm. in uh, the anime and the franchise in general, that he's actually introduced a little bit later than I remember.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, introduced, like, at this point 60 plus chapters into the series and Mm. in the anime he's introduced in episode two so they rearrange things quite a bit to get him in earlier but 10 has kind of like an immediate appeal and Reading through the series again, I have found a new appreciation for Ten. Like, I always enjoy the character, but now, you know, I really love the little tyke. Like, he's just so <laughs> naive and innocent.
1: But he's such a little brat. And he knows what he is. He knows yeah, what he yeah. is.
0: <laughs> but only really to Ataru. And that's only because Ataru is mean to him and, you know, is very obviously a jerk. That he picks on him. But, you know, I love that Ten pretends to be more adult than he is, but then gets into situations where his childish innocence and lack of understanding betrays him, which is very, very
1: enjoyable. And Ten is an interesting character because, like, I like Ten in the way that he mixes with the other characters and creates conflict. As a standalone character, I'm very meh on the idea. Like, if you just do a whole ten story, you'll go, ah, oh, this is kind of boring to me. However, uh, women who like Urusei Yatsara, especially in Japan, love ten. <laughs> they make it they that
0: really, intense really,
1: character. They really love ten. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's such an interesting thing that it was almost like he was kind of introduced to you know, get more female fans interested in the series. Well, here's, you, you've got the sexy, you know, alien Oni girl. How about a little cute Oni boy? Kind of the antonym yeah, the to that.
0: <laughs> I think uh, Takahashi's art style is very cute in the series in general. But with Ten and child characters especially, they're just so round and stubby that they are just kind of immediately adorable. <laughs> You know, they look so innocent and just kind of fluffy. But I think the quote in the data file is really succinct as to the appeal of Ten. Uh, There's no need to extol Ten's cuteness. Adored by all the female characters in the book, (laughs) Ten clearly has the power to trigger maternal instincts. Who could resist a smile at the sight of his short chubby arms and legs flailing about as he bobs through the air? And yeah, just there's a lot of cute aspects about them, like the fact that you know he very slowly flies in his introduction. Like there's that scene where they are watching him just like fly to Lum, and it's taking like a long time. He's like waving his arms in the air, like just slowly bobbing about. And once he gets to Lum, they're like clapping.
1: <laughs> it's all, everyone's very respectfully clapping. Yay! Yeah,
0: <laughs> he did it. <laughs>
1: This has got a lot of good one-shots in it, I would say. Volume 4 has a lot of interesting sort of, they go to the snow and they ski for an episode. Mm. You can kind of tell a lot of these where they were um, obviously meant to be color, like there were a couple of color pages in here.
0: Definitely. This might be like kind of the start of the series, like really, really picking up as like a huge hit.
1: Yeah, I I kind of, there have been color releases or re releases of, um, on some of these. Like there's something called the Perfect Color Edition, mm-hmm. where they have released some of those color pages. I really kind of wish they would do one of the color stories in English, but I think they've only ever done it in Japanese and French. This does have another Setsubun story, I think. Yeah, as yeah. We
0: well. get Ben 10 finally reintroduced for the first time mm. since the first, uh, set of volumes and this establishes the tradition of like a yearly sets of and showdown between Lum and Ben 10.
1: Mm. And you know, she is an Oni who does need to be chased out of the house. So it's, yeah. it's very literal. <laughs> um, I think probably in, in this one, my favorite chapter is actually a 10 chapter and it is the, uh, the Valentine's day disaster.
0: Yeah. The chapters in Mako, the girl into 10, Ah,
1: just the, the way that she's so sweet and the way that she also uses violence as well to get ten's attention like throwing bags at him or pole vaulting or basically working with Ataru to make ten's life miserable and how she brings down the law and if he doesn't accept the chocolate he'll yeah. be executed
0: oh my god the panels there where like ten is like reacting in shock and like we have like the in big text like the law and then later executed uh, it's like wind is like swirling by like those set of battles are just so great.
1: And it does talk to, to uh, Ten's naivete on earth as well, because he doesn't, oh, he yeah. knows about Valentine's day, but he just doesn't know much else about it.
0: I mean, even Mako thinks that is true that oh, yeah. <laughs> giving chocolate to, Another person means that you are engaged and married to that person. Because when Ataru doesn't, when Ataru accepts like her mom's chocolate later. Then she's like, "Oh no, mom! Now you have to marry that guy." <laughs> uh,
1: I love everything about that scene because Ataru is kind of innocent. I mean, he's still yeah, he hitting doesn't on know her. What's going on? <laughs> but he just he just like eats the chocolate and then is immediately fried and electrocuted. <laughs> What about you? Do you have a favorite from this uh, from this volume?
0: Oh, jeez. I think that you kind of chose mine as well. Like, those Mako chapters are real fun stuff. But also, of course, the date with Sakura, where at one point they go into the porno movie theater and then... Sakura is uncomfortable, and then Lum is asking Ataru questions, well, what's happening, darling? What's that? What's that? And Ataru's like, <laughs> shut up. I'm trying to watch. And Ten is like, man, I'm bored. What is this? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do love the beginning of that chapter where, where Ataru is just kind of sitting munching on some crackers going, you know what? I used to be known as a love guru and <laughs> then he's just like okay, teach me teach
0: me <laughs> <laughs> that was so good also the chapter where they're filming the movie about the delinquent gang at school and then the movie projector goes haywire and makes the characters in the movie realities so we have like our core cast like dressed up as gang characters and then they fight a rival gang of the school and like Lama should know who lift like their skirts to like shoot out rockets and stuff. Kosuke takes an ax out from behind his sunglasses. (laughs) Oh, I love that chapter.
1: There's so so many great visuals from that. I think that one works really well as an anime as well. Like the, the anime version of that chapter was kind of even more fleshed out.
0: Yeah. And, Also, just the look of the characters in, like, their gang outfits is also super cool. I like that. Lum does look awesome with an
1: afro. I will say Um, that.
0: And Shinobu with the face mask, like, definitely looks really fierce.
1: That's very much a a 70s throwback of uh, girls who used to wear the face mask, long skirts. Yeah, with the yo-yos. There's also an interesting chapter here I just wanted to point out briefly, which is where Ataru decides to... Uh, step down as being the class president.
0: Oh my god! Yes, of course. This is one of my favorites. Oh, we talked about this in the last episode, but we yeah. did, yeah.
1: Ugh. It breaks the fourth wall in a yes. way that most chapters don't even acknowledge that they kind <laughs> of part of a part of like a comic book series. And just the way that Cherry tries to step in and say, "With this face, I can be the new star of Urusei yatsura Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, I just love how all the characters try to make a case for them being the new main character.
1: <laughs> oh. But it also does prove to say that Takahashi is basically saying here, Lum isn't the main character, Ataru is. Like, Ataru is the main protagonist of this, like it or not, it's not Lum.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think both are pretty girl. I mean definitely as the series goes on i feel like you can have a chapter with only ataru and you can have a chapter with only lum but you can't have a chapter without either of them i don't think
1: yeah i think it doesn't really work like that
0: yeah because ataru can often be absent or have a very minimal role in a story focused on lum dealing with other characters especially like characters she knows from space like you know Oyuki, benton and especially like the girl gang Mm. Like, Shoker, ginger, and pepper. But, yeah. And Ataru, of course, can also have his own stories where Lum is barely in it as well. But you never see a chapter where, like, neither of them
1: are involved. No, no. And I think that that would break the story. Because mm-hmm. as soon as you do that, it's basically a spin-off rather than actual Urusei Yatsura. I think in the anime, there is actually only one episode that does not contain Ataru. Out of 195 episodes, or 194.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
1: Shall we move on to Volume 5?
0: Yeah, Volume 5. That's So uh, the this is the piece.
1: latest that has yeah. been released? Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, this was released back in February. And, you know, this has some pretty cool storylines. I mean, the major storyline in this volume is the deranged marriage arc. Which is really fun because Takashi manages to work in some OCs of fan-created characters into the storyline, and they're really fun character designs. And also, it's just a cool storyline because this is like Ataru going the extra mile to get back Lum, which really kind of shows his growth and like how much he recognizes he cares about her and wants her around.
1: That he is proactive in bring chapter. her back. Mm -hmm. this arc is just, it has everything going for it because it it shows that Ataru really does care, which you don't see very often. You get to see all of these weird wacky aliens, which were designed by uh, some people. And I actually did a bit of a a, a Twitter kind of deep dive on some of these things and just asked some of the people who were around at the time, like, do you know about this? And they said, yeah, they were, there was a competition to design aliens and have your name in an Urusei Uh, story which I think is really cool and you actually get to see more of Oniboshi as well which I really I really like anything that's set on Lum's home planet and of course it's got her dad who is one of my all-time favorite side characters
0: yeah yeah I mean this is like his most major appearance uh, since the first chapter and we really get a lot more of his personality here in that he's like very like antsy to get Lum with someone else. Yeah,
1: anyone other than Ataru, but you can't really blame him for that either. Like he's kinda of going behind Lum's back, but he also sees Ataru for what he is kind of bloody useless. <laughs> but yeah. by the end of that arc he does relent and admit that mm, you know, it should be up to Lum and Yeah, you know, I Ataru... mean he also
0: sees <laughs> from Ataru's negative example of trying to get in away of uh the other couple's relationship that oh that's uh kind of a bad thing to do that yeah it's kind of pathetic
1: so i <laughs> will leave it up to you so there is a little bit of character development there for him and it's worth noting that in the anime in the in the first movie like this happens this is one of the, the first big stories of the anime mm. i think it may have been one of the first um yeah, this is the first f- uh,
0: full-length uh, episode, first 22 yeah. minute.
1: The first one that actually goes and introduces a really cool song as well.
0: Well, actually I guess technically the second cuz episode 10 the Christmas Eve episode. Oh,
1: was. yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was but a But this was like the well. first
0: episode in the, you know, start of the new format of the series where it would be just 22 episodes.
1: Yeah, they decided to go whole hog on that format. Yeah. And rather than just have two kind of 10 minute episodes, they would actually run the full 23 minutes. Uh, and look, honestly, it is referenced in the first movie, Only You, where he goes, Oh, I haven't seen you since that disastrous matchmaking party, (laughs) which is interesting as well. So there is some kind of continuity in the anime about that as well, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. I, I do love all of the weird and wacky aliens and just how they're trying to break everything up and how Lum has just for three quarters of the story has no idea what's going on she just thinks it's (laughs) fun to be at a party
0: yeah and then she's like annoyed by all the people trying to introduce themselves to her and so (laughs) eventually she's just like oh yeah I'll just uh, go off with this uni guy because he's the only normal one
1: (laughs) he seems nice someone to talk to at a party full of freaks my favorite part of this whole arc though is how Ataru is basically looking like a tiny grasshopper man because he had to fit inside yeah. a ten spaceship. <laughs> and even by the end, when he sneaks back aboard Lum's UFO to go back to Earth, and even after that, he's still like in that little tiny grasshopper man mode and just goes, eh, whatever. You know, did you have fun at your little party? Yeah. And just, and still tries to play it off.
0: <laughs> I think one of my favorite parts is that on the cover page for like the fourth chapter of the arc, like, we have, like, an image of, like, Lum sitting on Ataru in his cockroach position. <laughs> it's so funny. But, yeah, I really like all the side aliens they introduce in this story. It's too bad, like, a lot of them, most of them, don't really come back. Like, the Prince of the Underground and Prism, those are really fun <laughs> characters. Like, the character lines are really good, too. Maybe it's just because, you know, they were created by, you know, readers that takashi didn't want to like reuse the master storyline but they they were cool designs
1: they were and they were fun like a lot of these a lot of these guys uh, did actually appear in the anime as well yeah yeah i'd like to think that they got some sort of credit for that i hope so yeah who knows i'd have to actually go and read the credits for that episode that might be interesting to to find out actually
0: Another significant longer storyline in this volume is the one with the rain spirit, where Atario goes on a date with this girl who's possessed by a rain spirit because her father, you know, made a deal with the spirit when he was a kid to, like, cancel school or something, and then in exchange he would play with her. But then he moved away, so he couldn't fulfill the promise, and so the spirit cursed his daughter. And so, Ataru goes on a date with this girl because they believe what will break the curse is that she has to make, like, a true friend.
1: Hmm. And
0: so, Ataru was like, pelted by rain and, you know, it's kind of put to his physical limit. But ultimately, <laughs> what resolves this is just that the dad, you know, decides to just play with the rain spirit. And so, <laughs> day and night for a week, they played. And then by the end of it, you know, the rain steward says, oh, well, I had enough. I'm tired. I'm going home. And so the curse is lifted, but the dad is like, oh, I want to play more.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's great because Ataru really does try and he has terrible motives as he always does.
0: This is very different from a storyline that'll happen later in the series where you know, he'll also go on a date with a girl, but for you know more selfless reasons, altruistic yeah. reasons. Here, mm. he definitely you know wants to be friends with this girl, just to date this girl eventually. And he says the you know uh, loud part quiet and the quiet part of loud in I one was moment. Yeah. Just
1: about to quote that, Ataru's <laughs> act is in his head. As your friend, I refuse to abandon you. I would die for you. Ataru's true feelings. I'm sticking (laughs) with this until we're more than friends. I've invested too much to back off. But yeah, he actually says the last part out loud. (laughs) And everyone just goes, yeah, we know. Mm -hmm. Everyone just goes, figured as much. It's kind of interesting when Lum is kind of a very much a side character and doesn't react as well. Because she she's around when all of this is going on and just kind of went, oh, this is crazy. She obviously has no feelings for him. So I'm just going to let this play out.
0: Yeah, she's just kind of off on the sidelines, kind of looking, mm. like, you know, exasperated at the situation. Like, one oh, of my favorite panels is when Atari's proclaiming there's no going back now. And Lum is just looking at him, kind of shocked and kind of dumbfounded, like, man, this guy is stubborn.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a, a brilliant way to show that, you know, Atari will do pretty much anything to get laid. hmm Or just to even just have a date with a girl. One of the things I do love about this volume as well, there's just one chapter I mentioned before where Cherry makes a reappearance via a surfboard at the beach that they're all holidaying at. But there is just this visual of Cherry before he goes surfing and he's stretching. Mm -hmm. He's basically wearing like an old-timey one-piece swimsuit with sunglasses and a Sony Walkman. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it is a visual like I just look at this going there's something about that. It's just kind of so funny and kind of cute at the same time Mm. that this Buddhist monk is like basically surfing, wearing a Walkman and he's like wearing an old timey one piece swimsuit. (laughs) (laughs)
0: He's got a mismatch of fashion choices. It's hard to tell if he's fashionable or just uh, doing
1: whatever. This is, so far, this might be, like, I I do like this volume, volume five, but I don't know, it's a bit, maybe not as timeless as some of the other ones we've read so far, because so much important stuff happens in the first four volumes. This one is funny, and it's good, and has a lot of great moments in it, but I don't know, nothing really jumps out other than the marriage arc that kind of is really staying with me, I suppose.
0: This volume is notable as the first not? to introduce any real major recurring characters we kind of have the development of some gags that'll pop up again during the series like most notably the gag of Sakura and a uh, Subame you know trying to you know make out when no one's looking mm. but then inevitably the kids are all spying on them so they are foiled that's like a runner that'll happen throughout the series and otherwise, they're just some fun like one-off stories to you know kind of play with some interesting ideas and I do think that Takashi is also slowly starting to delve back into some horror comedy chapters with both the Otama storyline and that Rain Spirit storyline.
1: Yeah, I think she does really enjoy the supernatural, and a lot of her later stories will obviously reflect that a lot more as well. A chapter that i I like just because it's about rugby. Is the one where um, a whole bunch of aliens come down to try and conquer Earth, but they're only the shape and size of a rugby ball. Yeah, and they get, of course, mixed up in a rugby game. And I just, I just like rugby, so I found this chapter quite funny. But also how tenacious Ataru is when he's brought aboard the spaceship. They put him in a giant cage, like a small cage, and he just, like, pretty easily just busts out of the cage while kind of still wearing it as body armor as he runs <laughs> around the ship, just wreaking havoc. <laughs>
0: That's really good. I also really like the chapters with the pool demon. Like, the pool demon's debut chapter is also is really interesting because this concept. is that he's sitting in the bottle of this pool and then someone goes down to greet him and then they can't leave once they're down there. Like, they have to tag someone out to go back to the surface. So it's just like this really interesting concept that leads to some kind of cool gags
1: i think part of that is like a politeness thing like mm. you don't want to leave someone you just don't want to leave out of politeness so that's why you're yeah. tagging people in and out but it's and co- it works it's really well like is that
0: like a, a actual physical thing that is happening yeah. that they can't leave because they ha- have to tag someone out and then once they're tagged they can't go up like there's something preventing them so it's really yeah. funny but also another uh, i love gag. that dynamic Yeah, yeah, and also another great gag in this chapter is that, you know, when they are speaking underwater, you know, their words are literally being trapped in these bubbles. And these bubbles are, like, going all over the place. And so to form a coherent sentence at one point, Mendo grabs all the bubbles containing the words he said and, like, just has to, like, hold them together, clump them together. And that's just so clever, like, kind of to play on the idea of word balloons and word bubbles in this way, in the setting. It's just really, really good visual gag.
1: Yeah. And a lot of this stuff, uh, there are quite a few visual gags here that just don't translate into the anime so well. Mm -hmm. Um, So they've worked around that. But I really do appreciate a good, like, just comic gag. Mm -hmm. Just something that will only work in that particular medium. And Takahashi pulls that off quite a lot. If you look at the way Run is kind of um, drawn in a lot of these stories... Half the time, she'll be very, you know, well-composed and prissy. And then she'll just completely fly off. And you can tell Takahashi is having so much fun drawing angry Ron. Yeah. Just the massively exaggerated features.
0: That's another interesting thing about the fifth volume is that Ron appears in one chapter in this volume. And when she appears, she's like, hi, I'm Ron. I'm still on Earth. As if, you know, the readers have forgotten. Which, to be fair, it had been kind of quite a few chapters since she made her last appearance. But she doesn't really play much into the story of that chapter at all. But it is kind of interesting, you know, to see no. that moment of, like, Takashi acknowledge that, oh, hey, I'm reintroducing Ron here. Do you remember Ron?
1: <laughs> I think there, are, there aren't too many more characters to go to be introduced, really. There's um, Rionosuke and her father. Yeah. Uh, would be the next main ones. And then at the very, very tail end of the series, you've got um,
0: Inaba. We've got Inaba. Inaba. That's right. We've yeah. got Inaba. Shingo, the yeah. Mendo family guard electrician.
1: Then we've got. Yeah.
0: I don't know if Nagas is necessarily a major character. They appear but in But
1: they like, kind of two start playing off other characters a lot more.
0: Yeah. Oh, the girl gang.
1: Yeah, Yeah, the Girl Gang was good. Like, there are a few, some really good one-off ones, which is interesting when you get your hands on a piece of merch Mm -hmm. that has a whole bunch of names on it. And some of them will just have the names of one-off characters. Oh, yeah. I
0: mean, I think the imp from, like, the second chapter is still a recognizable character design, which you'll see (laughs) pop up all the time, even though he was only in one story.
1: The interesting one I keep popping that I find pops up a lot is Alice from the chapter in the store in the library where it's obviously oh, wasn't it uh, Wendy? Wendy. It was Wendy, so, not, from not Peter Alice. Pan. Wendy from Peter Pan. Yeah. yeah, I think Alice from Alice in Wonderland. Wendy from uh, from Peter Pan, and they draw her as a nice blonde girl, and she is on so much merch out there. <laughs> and she was only in one one chapter and wasn't even you know created for Ursula, but she's still on so much stuff. It's just interesting the way that. Uh, people will just kind of latch onto that sort of thing.
0: I think Takashi has a real gift for creating memorable characters and character designs, and Urasawa is the best example of that. Because, especially in that deranged marriage arc, when we go and see like that marriage party, like there are a bunch of aliens that are you know not the fan submissions that are just all super weird and interesting, and they are just delightful to look at in these crowd scenes.
1: They really are.
0: I just think it speaks to Takashi's creativity, especially in her early work, that she can create such memorable characters that they can only appear briefly, but still be really widely remembered, like, decades later.
1: Which is exactly how Lum sort of started. She was meant to be a one-off character, but yeah. was so popular that they she couldn't do anything but put her back in after two chapters. <laughs> Definitely. So what about the the technical aspect of this would be the, I like the format and I like all the covers, but what do you think of the translation of these volumes?
0: I haven't had a chance to compare with the old translation, but I think that they've done a great job of remaining faithful to the original intent. And I think that they're doing a lot of work to just kind of preserve the context of jokes, whereas in the original release, of course, we had, you know, jokes changed to, you know, better fit kind of American Western sensibilities, you might say. Like we, of course, noted famously the changing of the sense of a joke to the Halloween joke in the first chapter. Hmm. You don't see that, you know, with the new release. It's like very much, you know, these are Takashi's jokes and we're doing our best to kind of replicate them. Sometimes they do take a little bit of liberties with wordplay to find an equivalent but otherwise very much trying to stay true to the original joke as possible
1: i think it's a very good translation like it's a very sometimes very literal translation Mm. because i was so enamored with the original translation when it came out i think it is losing a little bit of its i kind of want to say pizzazz like They added a a couple of little flicks in the dialogue, which kind of gave it a bit more of a personality, whereas this is very much a very straight translation, which is good in a cultural context, but kind of does miss out on a bit of the flavor.
0: Definitely. I mean, I feel like I'm still getting Takahashi's voice uh, through these chapters, but the voice of the translator, which definitely can come across and add so much to a work. It's not necessarily as strong as it is in a series like Excel Saga is like my go-to, the manga for Excel Saga, because that is a series that was like very lovingly translated. That was also a series that had like very specific references and cultural context attached to it, where the translator did such a great job of kind of communicating the cadence and humor of the original in English and had extensive cultural notes at the back of those volumes. And so... Which you would
1: really need in a a series like that because there is that is just basically one giant reference to everything else that happens in the world of anime and manga.
0: Oh, yeah. So you don't quite get as much of that here necessarily, but you know what? They are going for something a little more fateful. And... You know, I love these stories, and I think they're doing a great job just presenting them to us.
1: I think um, one of the things that's getting me is that we haven't. So Onsen Mark, their teacher, okay, yeah, and basically, we, we kind of got to touch on this, yeah. yeah. Uh, they haven't mentioned him by name in the manga yet, although he has appeared several times. They don't oh, actually yeah. call him anything. Onsen However,
0: appears as early as the fourth chapter of the series. Yeah, but he <laughs> up to this point for ten. Tankobon Volume volumes in, he has not been named. Hunter chapters in, he has not been named. But in the data file included in, in the line Volume of notes,
1: 3, effectively.
0: Yeah, in the data file included in Volume 3, which is supposedly about Hanawa Sensei, but is actually really about how Hanawa Sensei makes Ansa look. <laughs> better because I is so interesting that he makes Hansen a more interesting character. But yeah, so they uh, refer to him in that data file as Hot Springs Emblem. And, mm. you know, if you've listened to that Urizi podcast we did on Mavericks, uh, we had like kind of a 10 minute rant on that there. But Hot Springs Emblem, I'm just going to say it here again, is not a name. Onsen Mark sounds like a It is name. a
1: description. It yeah. is literally a description of like, because Mark can be a name in English, of exactly. course. And Mark in in Japanese, you know, they know Mark's a name, yeah. um, but it can also mean emblem as well. Mm-hmm. So, It's just that, too if, literal. It it's is way literal. too literal. And that is my problem with some of these translations. Like, I wish that they had just called the Oni rather than yeah. Ogres. I think you just need to keep a little bit of that original... Japanese-ness in yeah. there and just let people know that this will be in the liner notes, this will be explained in, in terms of, you know, what it means in Japanese culture.
0: It is very strange like what is kept as is in terms of its Japanese context like Katatsu is a Katatsu. Katatsu mm. Neko they're going to be calling Katatsu Kitty but, you know, that's fine. And then, you know, when we have the chapter, which is, like, one of the Italian chapters where, like, all the other characters are, like, dressed up as, like, Japanese spirits, you know? We have Shinobu calling herself a Sarashi, Warashi, or whatever. Hmm. And it's like, and you they, know... They'll,
1: they'll call Setsubun, Setsubun, as yeah. well. Because there is literally no equivalent to that in, in our culture. So, I see what they're doing, and I, think, I don't think they're doing a bad job by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, I think um, having some sort of, like faithfulness to the original japanese can go both ways as well i'd agree but you know we'll keep going if if hopefully i'm not sure whether the translators are going to listen to this i'm not sure who's <laughs> translating this actually but yeah maybe just go with onsen mark for this one because calling him hot springs emblem is really gonna grate
0: <laughs> yeah i mean you're just creating more work for the letterer to try and fit that name in the balloons onsen mark is less characters than hot Springs Emblem, like-
1: Make the literary job easier, please. And that is, that is the interesting thing, is that you'll often see the kerning of letters mm. uh, will go kind of outside of the balloons and a lot of these things, especially in fan translations
0: mm.
1: of manga. And that is because you can say so much more in much less space in Japanese mm. because of kanji. And when you try and actually spell all of that out in English, it will obviously kind of go much over It's going to be much longer or the words are going to be much smaller. So yeah, I just really should sometimes just go for whatever is less just because it works better.
0: I mean, this has been doing phenomenal lettering work with the series. Mm. Like, you know, no text going above balloons here. They're leaving plenty of room in those balloons. Like they're doing a great job formatting and the redrawn sound effects, just absolutely wonderful. Especially in terms of keeping the effects of the original Japanese effects. Like, they are doing an incredible, incredible job. There have been a few different uh, letterers over the course of the run so far. The current one is Genie Lee. And Hmm. they're just doing a really great job. Like, props to them. Like, this is lettering work. It's generally really great. But, yeah, I'm very happy with what they've been doing with Yerse It
1: does look really good and it fits in with everything else that they're doing like if if the lettering had coloring or shading in the original then they'll keep that shading when they redo the sound effects here which i think is really cool mm-hmm, definitely okay so shall we shall we move on a bit i think we've probably got about another 20 minutes before we can uh we have to sign off so maybe we should talk about the fandom for a little bit
0: yeah and ac i would like you to lead the charge on this because You know, you do the Daily lum on Twitter, and you have amassed a huge collection. So I was, like, wondering, like, your experiences, like, on this.
1: Sure. Basically, the fandom itself is is super, super interesting, and I didn't even know a lot about it until I was on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I was just a fan, and I was a fan who collected stuff, but it wasn't until I got on Twitter that I realized we are like the third or fourth generation of yeah, sayatsuara yeah. fans <laughs> it's interesting because uh, i'm now friends on twitter with some of some japanese people who were fans at the very beginning friend wow. you know who were reading the manga when it first came out and you know these people are now in their 50s or 60s even <laughs> uh it's interesting to note that ataru if you go by when he was born from when the series began in 1978 Ataru is technically a baby boomer, and I think I've pointed that out before. <laughs> so there he does have baby boomer fans. And some of these people have been uh fans, and not all of them are collectors, some of them are just big fans, of the series since that you know, since they read the manga, or since they read uh sorry, since they read the manga or watched the anime back in the early eighties. <laughs> so it's fascinating to talk to these people who were around when that happened because I just don't have that luxury of being there because it was very much a cultural phenomenon. And uh, they even had live action shows. um, And there are photos, there are some pictures on on Twitter uh, and and the like where people have – it's like a stage show that they used to have in shopping centres and outdoor venues where they had uh, people dressed up as the characters – but not in the way that you'd think like they weren't cosplaying. They actually had a costume that they would go inside and have like the full anime esque face of Lum and 10 and 10 was 10's meant to be tiny, but you know, 10 was actually like maybe a head short in Lum. <laughs> and these things are frightening. I can't imagine how popular they were, but just the visuals alone kind of quicken you a bit. You kind of look at them and go, Whoa, that happened. Wow. Okay. Uh, but try hunting around for that. The live action stage, uh, productions, I've never seen any video, just photos of it, look frightening, but also kind of are just so fascinating to see at the same time. Ah, it's amazing. And all happened in the, in the 80s at some point, probably in the early to mid 80s, because the anime went until, what, 80, 86, was it, or 87?
0: And yeah, then I the movies kept still. going after that. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, so that was, you know, Ursa Yatsara went on for quite a long time, and it was in the uh, 7.30 time slot for quite a while. Not for its entire run. 7.30 Wednesdays is, uh, is prime time, I think, in just about anyone's language. In Australia, that was prime time for The Simpsons. <laughs> All new episodes would debut on a 7.30 on a Wednesday night, uh, and it seems to be the same sort of thing here. Whereas, uh, I think that time slot did change after a while, but it wasn't that time slot for a while. So people were super into Urasayatsara. And even if in Japan to this day, people might not have seen Urasayatsara because they don't have repeats in the same way, but hmm. they know who the character of Lum is. Everyone knows who Lum is. Oh, definitely. Hmm. Even my, my wife's 88 year old grandfather, <laughs> who's still around, never seen Urasayatsara, but recognize Lum from a lineup oh yeah so she's still a, a, a popular character to this day and one of the things that um, myself and uh, Michan who is at Chicories on Twitter another big Lum fan uh, she visited uh, the farm in Guma where I stay with uh, where my wife is from and she came to visit us and we went to a pachinko parlor specifically to play the Urusayatsara pachinko machine <laughs> and I'm not a big fan of pachinko because I'm I'm just not a not a big gambling fan in general really. I don't I don't have anything people who gamble that's um it's just not really my thing. I only ever bet on a sure thing. So they have redone the Lumno love song with new animation and they've Whoa. done all of these really interesting pivotal moments from the characters and they've done a whole bunch of redesigns for them for the modern oh era gosh. and it looks beautiful and oh. all the effects look beautiful but it's for a pachinko machine. <laughs>
0: Man, I have seen clips of those pachinko machine animations, and every time I see it, I'm like, this looks so good, this animation, this art style. Why can't we get a Yurisayatsu remake anime, like in similar style? Like, that'd be so cool.
1: Or it you really know, just would a be. new
0: series in that style.
1: It would be interesting. I reckon they could do a one-off in that style. I would love to see like an extra OVA next time they release it on whatever format comes after Blu-ray.
0: Yeah, I mean, I love the 2008 OVA. I would love to see more like that, even just as an occasional treat.
1: Hmm. And that was a great OVA too. That like, And all of those voice actors are always more than happy to come back and voice their iconic characters.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, if it's, uh, Toshio Furukawa, you know, he's still around doing a lot of work. As <laughs> Piccolo, you know, he's can easily come back to do Otaru, I'm sure.
1: And he loves doing that voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, for <laughs> the so you mentioned the NHK stream, uh, the well the NHK uh, yeah. special they had last November or December, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. I somewhat dubiously got my hands on the live version of that, <laughs> that when it was going out, and I kind of streamed it to. To members of Lum Squad, and it was fascinating because it kind of covers all of uh, Takahashi's anime work over the past, you know, thirty years, yeah, forty years, closer to forty years now. And it was super interesting um, the way that Lum was always near the top, but not quite at the top because the newer series, of course, are going to have more fans yeah. and they're going to be more engaged, especially with internet voting and stuff like that.
0: In terms of the character poll, Lum came in at number 2. She was yeah. sandwiched between Inuyasha and sashomru Like Inuyasha mm. was like the runaway hit in the poll like probably because of the general age of the voters like skewed younger uh, and towards, you know, young women in the tw- in their 20s. So yeah. like Inuyasha like ran away, it was number 1 series on the poll and the characters were the most represented. But Yurisui Atsu, you know, it, it still did well for itself. Like, Beautiful Dreamer came in as number five on the Takashi anime list. Yurisui the series, was number four. And there were quite a few Yurisui characters that ranked in the top 100.
1: Yeah, and that was uh, super interesting to see some of the characters that people had a liking for that you just don't imagine that would, would even going to be that popular.
0: I think one of the most odd ones was Goka Kenron, who is like this alien superhero that comes to Earth and kind of tricks Ten, and it turns out that he's just like a sleazy salesman. And he was oh, number yeah. 67
1: in this character's list. <laughs> and I couldn't even remember that character. I was like going, I know that guy's from Ursa Yatsura, but like from one story? And he was yeah. kind of skeezy.
0: I had to look him up because he was like the only one in this character list that I did not recognize <laughs> at first glance from the Earthy characters. Another like very kind of interesting obscure one was just a tanuki from one episode was uh, rank ninety five. You know, cute <laughs> animal character. Takashi is good with those, but you know that yeah was uh, the ninety fifth most popular Takashi character.
1: The fact that there are more than one hundred takahashi carriages is interesting as well
0: oh yeah i mean the full list was like 150 they only showed like the first 100 on stream but in the, yeah you know yeah, listing right. on NHK's website they like went up to 150 but yeah i mean pretty sick all the main characters you know all the recurring supporting cast as well they all ranked in like the top 100 and one of the other like really notable one-offs nozomi uh, she was also ranked in the top 100 she ranked 93 which also yeah. shows like, how you know resonant that story is
1: and that character was. I really like that character. I think that as far as one-off character goes, that might be one of my favorites, just because it's such oh, a pivotal yeah. episode. For, for something that's so late in the series, whether it be the anime or the manga, that does happen pretty late. Oh, and yeah. it's just a kind of a classic Ataru story. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a it really- It could have happened at any time, but it was good having that late on in the series, I think.
0: I mean, it really showed Ataru doing something truly selfless. And it kind of revealed a depth to his character that we so rarely see. And showed kind of the glimpse of the person he could be if he chose to be beneath his facade. And Mm. it was very special for that reason. I think one of the other interesting, you know, things to note about the... Yurisuyasu characters and how they ranked in the poll was like the third most popular Yurisuyasu character was Megane, which, you know, technically can you consider him a Takashi character when he's so much more informed by Mamoru Oshi? but he's the third Uh, most popular.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, he was, his, his character was, you know, from the very, very early stories.
0: Yeah. But I mean, the character that people remember and love is, uh, very much all Oshi, though he still exists in the Yamazaki era as, like, the same character, but I mean, he was created oh, definitely. mostly by Oshi. But, yeah, I mean, he ranked at number 15, like, only three spaces behind Ataru, who ranked, uh, you know, the second most popular Yusufa character at number 12. So, Ataru didn't quite make the top 10, but uh, it was a very yeah, competitive. I have list. opinions
1: about that, but <laughs> Ataru deserved to be higher. Uh,
0: who do you think he should have been higher than?
1: Uh, look, I'm not going to say lum, but really? probably most. Huh. Look, I, I really enjoy it. like Ataru is someone you love to hate. <laughs> um, but he's just so entertaining and I really love just his, his outdated thinking, his kind of often terrible personality and the way that he gets into trouble so much. I just find that just like you just want to eat it up. You just want to watch whatever he's in and just watch him, like, bumble his way into trouble (laughs) and sometimes not even out of trouble. A lot of the stories end with him still being in trouble and with no one to save him. (laughs) He'll just end up in a spaceship looking after a whole bunch of, like, kindergarten weird aliens and Lum just floating off going, eh, I'll leave him to it, whatever.
0: Ataru is the Daffy Duck of Yerase Lum, you could say, is the Bugs Bunny. And I love Daffy Duck and no wonder... You know, I love Ataru. Like, he is the short-tempered, ill-mannered character that is always striving to get his way, but is foiled by his own foibles.
1: And it's all his fault. Like, no matter what happens, you know, like 99.9% of the time, it's all his dumbass fault. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons I love the character so much is because he bounces off all the other characters so well. Yeah. Um, yeah. but. Getting back to the fandom for like another five or so minutes, I think maybe we can kind of talk about this next episode as well. But I think um, just from my perspective, the fandom is interesting because, as I've told the story, I kind of was, started being interested in Japanese culture because of Urusei Atsara. When I was over there in the 2000s in Japan, um, there was actually a Takahashi exhibition in Ginza, which is a very well-to-do Uh, suburb of tokyo where all the upmarket art galleries were and like all of the all the super high class shops and uh, they actually had a takahashi exhibition there and they they showed a whole bunch of her original drawings and Mm. they had uh it was not just for urusei it was for all of her things and i think iroyashi was still very very popular oh yeah at the time and it was it must have been for the 30th anniversary because I reckon it would have been 2008 that I went to this. And it was so crowded. It was, I remember it being, I think it was summer and it was very, very hot and everyone was, it was just packed to get into this place. And it was just amazing seeing all of her art. And, you know, they talked about the anime and stuff like that, but it was mainly about the manga. And it was so interesting to see what kind of people gravitated towards um what particular section because they were all kind of split into like a timeline. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people, especially young women, who would just zip past everything and just go straight for Inuyasha.
0: <laughs> well I think we saw that reflected in the the NHK poll for sure. I
1: think we did. And you know there was there was people like me and my wife who I was hanging around the Yatsara and she was hanging around the a bit and I was just like, just pouring over every like single piece <laughs> of line art and every like explanation trying to translate it into English as I was like reading the Japanese. And it was just such an interesting um, kind of microcosm of the kind of people um, that uh, Takahashi's work attracts as a fandom. And it is such a broad, 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 broad spectrum of people and it's spanned so many generations now. And it's interesting to think that, you know, in 20 years, there are going to be people going back to something like Unuyasha mm. and calling that, like that is going to be the classic anime. And that's what, you know, people are going to be super into or very, very nostalgic for like we are with Urusei Yatsura.
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, people are already nostalgic for Inuyasha; It's 20 years old. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> That is retro now, Mao isn't it? Now it's the new hotness. <laughs> <laughs> Inuyasha is a millennial and Mao is a zoomer. Urusayata is the boomer,
1: you know? <laughs> yeah, Urusayata is pretty much a baby boomer. Right now, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the fandom from my perspective is interesting because I remember seeing that. And I think like I was always interested in, in Urusayata, but that kind of kicked me off a little bit more. And I kind of got more into the collecting. And then I, when I was on Twitter, I got more into just interacting with more of the fandom. And Lumsquad is just like our little corner, our little piece of the internet of the Urusei Atsara fandom. And it's such a, a strong, kind of happy little group, which I'm really proud to be kind of a part of. And it's just so interesting to see uh, how people are still flocking to Urusei Atsara and, you know... uh experiencing it for the first time. It's just fascinating to, to watch people who go, Oh, I think I may have heard of this and watch it and then or read it and then kind of like have more questions or really get into it. Or even the people who just say, Oh, it's not really for me, that's that's cool as well, you know, it's not for everyone. But it's good that I think even after forty years people are still discovering it for the first time. Especially in English, because it's just such a Japanese centric series.
0: Oh yeah. It's really awesome, the thriving fan community for Yersiyatsura. It definitely is really, really special and very positive and I really, really love it.
1: It's very I don't know, not tight knit exactly, but it's um I think that the people the overwhelming majority of people who are into this are very respectful, which I yeah. really like. Like you don't get people coming in there and saying, Oh my god, naked alien women. Ah, <laughs> that's awesome. Take it off, baby. You know, it's People who know and tweet about this on Twitter are usually like, I like this. I may have been interested in it because she's a tiger-skin anime girl, but tiger-skin bikini anime girl, um, but kind of into it because they know the characters. And I think that's pretty cool.
0: Definitely. I mean, I think Iris Yasha's fandom is definitely more united, it feels, than even the Ranma and Yasha fandoms, which are, I think can be a little fractured sometimes with like, you know different groups especially in the shipping wars quote-unquote but
1: yes <laughs> i would definitely agree with that there is a lot of shipping that goes on in in a lot of those other takahashi fandoms that's for sure yeah.
0: but ui fans are pretty much all really you know respectful and on the same page in like they're and pretty chill they're chill yeah, people. Yeah.
1: All right, I think um, I'll probably chat a bit more about my collection and how I got to so, so many things that's now taking up an entire room in my house next time.
0: Oh, yeah, that I'm really excited to hear about because, you know, you post about your collection, like, pretty much daily. And I'm almost, like, so in awe of, like, all the cool collectibles you've amassed.
1: I'll, um, yeah, so look forward to that next time. I'll give a, I'll I'll talk about how I amassed so much stuff. And I'll also give a couple of hints on how to get some, like, super interesting and even rare stuff as well because there are a couple of a uh, couple of little techniques um that uh, people in the west might not know about to get your hands on that sort of stuff
0: mm-hmm, definitely yeah i'm looking forward to that and yeah i mean it's good to be back doing Mum Scob. we've got a lot of topics uh, to talk about i think in the next coming episodes because of course we've got volume six coming out next month you know we still got to do an episode on the movies. There's a lot to oh, do and I'm looking look forward, forward to. to that. Oh, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So long as there's Arisa oh, sorry, there's something to talk about.
0: Definitely. I mean, we've talked about it before, but there really is like a welt of, you know, stuff to talk about and pick apart in the series. Like even in the content we just covered, you know, there's still things to like go back over again and explore. Like, you know, that's something that's always really fascinating about like series, you know, really entrenched in a lot of different cultural uh, references entrenched in its time. And that has run as long as you're the out there. There's always something new to talk about. It's like something that's really fascinated me about like what, you know, the consensus folks have, you know, been able to do with Dragon Ball and like the things they've been able to, you know, discover and discuss with that series. And I think there's, you know, just as much to go
1: over with UI. Oh, definitely. I think I mean, we, we'll just keep doing this, even if it is a little haphazardly... <laughs> <appetibly. laughs> Put together over the coming months or years but you know we'll, we'll keep doing this and even if we didn't have any listeners I, re- listeners, I reckon we keep doing it anyway
0: oh yeah I mean it's just really fun to talk about Yurisui <laughs> like I always have so much fun just to talk about this series I just love it so much and love to have conversations about it
1: so uh, next time we'll, we'll put the call out for more questions we'll, we'll answer some more questions next episode I think this episode's already an hour and a half long so we'll probably yeah. end it here for today
0: I think that is a good idea to call it for this podcast. And thank you guys once again for listening to Lump Squad. And until our next episode, let us tell you where you can find us. AC, would you like to start things off where the people can find you on the internets?
1: Sure thing. I am at ProdTally, P uh, O P R O D T A L L Y and I do the Daily Lum so you can actually just search for the hashtag Daily Lum and you'll find me there that's probably the main source of Lum you're going to find me talking about stuff how about yourself?
0: you can find me at lum Ramayasha on Twitter and it's LumRamiasha on a variety of places wherever there's a LumRamiasha that's where you can find me and you can read my manga reviews over on all-comic.com I have a lot of those coming in and a lot of those are going to be coming up soon. So definitely look forward to those on there. And you may even see a review of the latest volumes of Yurusiata being posted on there. So that is something to really look forward to as well. And of course, you can also follow my other podcast, Manga Mavericks, on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks. And of course, that is also on every podcast platform of choice. We are a manga podcast devoted to discussing one as a medium as and as an industry and we have an episode on your show, so you can listen to as well and also uh, we have got a ton of cool retrospectives and cool topic episodes like we've got a dragon ball retrospective coming out pretty soon or already out by having to listen to this too and a lot of cool stuff to look forward to so check that out as well but as for this show lum squad you can follow us on twitter at lum underscore squad and currently, you can find our episodes in the Manga Mavericks podcast feed. But I'm also planning to get a feed for this podcast just on its own set up pretty soon. Ooh, I and like so, I like. Oh yeah, so look forward to that if it's not already up by the time you're listening to this. And. Of course, if you have any comments, feedback, suggestions, you can send that our way to our email, umsquadpod at gmail.com. And, you know, again, we would love to hear guys' thoughts on the series, on upcoming volumes on the podcast. So if you have any questions, comments, topics, you know, send us an email right over
1: there and I'll read them on the show. Perfect. Okay, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. Matane Dacha. Sayonara! Excellent. Yeah.